What a great day to be alive. So often in these kind of since the pandemic, particularly, we don't feel that way every day. We're worried about our future, our family's future, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren's future. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He laughs while the nations rage, folks. He's doing all right. And he says, man, my people will be just strong as ever. You've got to realize that there's a grace for the day that we live in. There's a, there's a power from the Holy Spirit that says, I put you on this earth at this time for a reason. This, I wanted you here in this day and season. And so Jesus is excited about us and being alive and in Christ during this time. Lord Jesus, we want to get excited like you are, that you've placed us on this earth in this day and time, and that you want us to to see the good things that you're doing because they are many. They are many, and they are, it is powerful what you're doing throughout the earth. So help us see that, Lord, and hunger for more of you. Amen. So our title of this series is All In. And we're all in and preparing for the harvest. And what timing this is, is because the harvest is happening and spreading with the, the, the spreading of the fire of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at one aspect of being all in, and that was is upward. And these arrows are taking us through these uh, three messages that we're doing right now. That vertical, like the cross, has a vertical with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus. And, and so that was upward. Uh, today, we're going to talk about inward, our relationships together as the body of Christ, and then next Sunday, Lord willing, a lot, uh, Lord willing, a lot can happen in a week. But uh, we're going to do the uh, the outward uh, next Sunday, and I'm excited about that big time. And these phrases, upward and inward, match our vision statement. It's just cool that that happens. That we're abandoned to God vertically, and we're compassionate toward people horizontally, just like the cross. And I believe God in this timing of what we're seeing is beyond the Asbury outpouring or revival, that there is a positioning us and preparing us at this time for the harvest. Today we're going to focus on us, the body of Christ, his family, his chosen people, the ones that he died and bought for, and you said yes, and he's purchased you, and you belong to him and in his family. So in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to go there in a little while, the Apostle Paul, he likens us to a human body in this passage that he gets into. And so I Googled this real quick. You know, how many uh, parts are there in the human body? And I came up with this number, uh, that the average adult human body has 206 bones, 650 muscles, and 78 organs. Someone get your calculator out. I wanted a total on that. I forgot to do it. You ready? 
Get your calculator out there, somebody. 206 bones. Somebody doing it? Okay. 650 muscles and 78 organs. Hayden, do you have that? Who is that back there? 934. 934. 934. So what part are you of 934 parts? You know, I was thinking about that. We were looking at our uh, pictures of our uh, new grandbaby. You know, I got to slide that in there somewhere. In Philadelphia, Rowan, and we had pictures of his ears. Looking at close-up. It was this profile, and we blew it up to get a good close-up of his ear. And, you know, ears are just funky looking, aren't they? I mean, they don't really, you don't go, wow, what the beautiful ears you've got. I mean, nobody like, highlights their ears. But, boy, it, our ears are valuable, aren't they? They, don't, they may not look that great, but they are valuable. So valuable, God gave us two of them. He wants us to hear twice as more than we speak, right? What about a nose? A nose can come all shapes and sizes, but how important your nose is. And other parts of the body. I can't, you know, what part are you in the body of Christ? I've looked it up again because I'm not, you know, very good in science. You know, how many human systems are there in the body? And there are, they, it's kind of a debate how they categorize them, but 11 to 12 body systems. So that includes your skeletal system, your muscular, nervous, your cardiovascular, and, and respiratory, and on and on. And so this human body, it's, and this is just a little reminder, it's as 934 parts. It's so diverse, and it's so amazing how it actually does work together as a whole. And I want to throw this out to you, that I believe that as we read this passage that it, it's, the Apostle Paul is really talking about the local church body. Not the church universal, but the local church body. And I'll bring that up again uh, later on. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start reading in verse uh, 12 of chapter 12. I'm going to read a couple verses at a time and have us kind of break... Uh, break it down and just observe things, and we're going to go quite far. We're going to go about uh, to verse 24. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you, inspired by the Holy Spirit, put this image for us in the local church. The, your, uh, your body, your family, this is for us today. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us something out of this passage in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so let's read and start reading. And we just, early in, in 1 Corinthians 12, there's the list of the gifts of the Spirit and, and the variety of the gifts of the Spirit. Now it's, he's talking about how we relate together. Verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. 
So there is a unifying nature about all these various parts of the body, and that is Jesus Christ. That we have been baptized into him. We have we have drank the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has transformed us, make us a new creature. And this supernatural miracle has put us together into the body and joined us together. This, he is the unifier. And he wants his body unified. Let's go on to the next verse here. Verse 14. Paul starts creating this conversation among the body parts. <laughs> verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. It is therefore not of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? So what we're seeing is this funny conversation going on. That just because we're very different and have very different functions, that doesn't mean that we're separate and, and just totally distinct from each other. No, we are still together, and we'll keep reading here. But these body parts are kind of funny because the foot would be, uh, you know, a less distinguished, honorable part, but as we know, very important. But uh, uh, and yet the hand would be more important. And what's in the, the Greek mindset in the Corinth region of that world, they would have lots of hierarchies in their society based on who is smart, who is uneducated, who is poor, and they had lots of categories of society. And so Paul is having to break this divisions down and say, no, listen, though we're very different, yes, but we can't say we're not a part of, of one another no, we're joined together. Let's look at verse 17 now. If the whole body, body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. So there he goes. He continues to recognize the differences of each function, of each part. But they are, God has set these members, each one of them, just as he pleased. Folks, the Grow Track series is important. If you don't know your gifts of ministry, if you don't know how God, you know, your where you bear more fruit in the different areas of your life, you need to find that out. Grow Track, we do that especially in Grow Track 2 and 3, and maybe Larry could take a few extras today. I don't know if he could, but he could take a few extras. And you go through a spiritual assessment, and it's fun to talk about and so forth. But there, that's just a tool to help you discover, because your gifts and who you are and your background and the family you grew up in and where you live, all these things affect you, and God has placed you, and you are unique gift and part of the body of Christ. God has set you to where you are, and he wants to use you in the fullest ability for you to be fully alive as your part in this body of Christ. 
God has set you and he's pleased with you. Again, I believe this is not church universal where we become uh, born again in a, into the family of God through salvation in Jesus. And now we have brothers and sisters of Christ all through this, the states and through the world. And, and in heaven, we're all one big family. But there is a setting in place and connecting that pleases God so your gifts and abilities can be used. That happens not in this grand universal church, but in a local, in a family that God has put together. Let's keep reading. Verse Corinthians 12, now verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. See, again, in this Greek mindset, they were very intellectual, and, and the, the more you were uh, educated in, in a, into philosophy, the higher you were in status. And he's saying, no, listen, even aspects of the head, of the eye, it, you cannot look down at another part like the hand or the feet, and say, I have no need of you. I'm better than you. I can, I can do what I do without you. I'm good enough. I'm above you. No, this is being broken right here, folks. We need each other. And the uniqueness that you have in your life, in your giftings, in your experience, we need that. Everyone else needs to be connected to you. The Lord Jesus is not into pride that sets members in the body above or against one another. God is into unity and honor. I uh, grew up coming home after school. I think it was a four o'clock show, The Six Million Dollar Man. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. Stronger, faster, better. Anyone? No? Okay. <laughs> well, you know, who in, t- in today's world, in the Marvel world, the Bionic uh, got a lot of, you know, amazing uh, heroes there. But I thought of Bucky today, uh, this weekend. And so just think about his, this, uh, the, the Winter Soldier arm. Uh, Bucky Barnes went uh, to World War II in the Marvel world to fight. He basically died, was captured by the Russians, and turned into this massive fighting machine. Didn't he, they wiped his brain, didn't know what he was doing. And he's got this massive, uh, you know, bionic arm that is, you know, so damaging. Nothing can stop it, nothing can. But even that arm can't do anything unless it's joined to the other body. And uh, there he is now. He was, uh, was able to be captured back from the Marvel good guys, Avengers, and now he's the White Wolf, and he's got a new arm, you know, and all this. So he's, he's a good guy now. And so you, you ladies that like to uh, woo over him, he's on the good side now, so you can have a clear conscience about that. Yeah. 
So even bionic arms need the rest of the body to function. They can't function on their own. And every part must do its work. Let's go on to verse 23 and 24. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. There is an importance here for each of us to be aware if the world or uh, there's, it, there's, this, there's this feeling of someone being less honorable, being pushed aside in the body of Christ, that we go against that flow and we pick them out and honor them and, and use them for the kingdom of God. I'll give you a quick little example. I was youth pastor here during the 90s, and uh, one of the Heyman brothers, the youngest, it was a twin actually, Jason Heyman, was a quadriplegic. He couldn't walk. He could use his hands just a little bit and was coming through the youth group. And we would do uh, different, you know, summer trips uh, and, uh, you know, late fall, or, I mean, early fall trips, and we would had gone whitewater rafting a few times. And so here we're going, do we take Jason or not? We were going to be staying at the Neely's house, the retired missionaries that lived in North Carolina, and we'd stay there and have worship and teaching and then do a whitewater rafting trip. And so we called him. We, the, the company said, listen, we have this uh, Jason with us. Can, we, can he go? And they said, we'll figure something out. Bring him. And sure enough, folks, the one that said, you know, he's just going to have to be back at the house all by himself. He's just going to have to miss out and not have any fun. We, th- these guides did something they hadn't done before. And in the front of these big, you know, air-blown-up rafts, they created with those different straps and things a seat for him to be right in the front and getting, you know, sitting low. And they just, they just developed this thing. We sat him in there, and, and uh, uh, myself and another youth worker, you know, we sat right next to him, kind of behind him next to him, so we could have an arm on him at all times. I want to tell you, folks, that was the highlight of the weekend. Was the one that was supposedly really just going to miss out. They can't, you know, he's just so weak and so uh, out of it. No, uh, listen, that was the highlight of the weekend. God honored him and God brought this blessing together. Not only was Jason, you know, coming in at these waves, he's in the front, so he got more wet than anybody. These waves are crashing, and he's just, you know, right in his face. He got soaked from the beginning and uh, had this this smile. I've got the picture of him smiling as we're getting in to hit this wave. and uh, and But it blesses us as much or more to see him having this adventure, really, of a lifetime. Let's keep reading. Verse 25 and 26. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. This schism is, you know, it means division. That is, assume that a human body must have unity or it cannot work properly. 
Our healthcare system is one of the best in the world, and the millions and billions of dollars put into it to help keep all the variety of parts, uh, 934 parts, working right and together. This is a most complex, but yet God created to be in unity and to thrive in unity. God cares about unity in his family, in his body. He does not take that for granted. And here's one of those 59 one another's of Scripture. That, at, but the, that the members should have the same care for one another, that you don't uh, care for one more than the other because of either wealth or status or any kind of reason, but we have an equal uh, heart and compassion for one another and care for one another. And verse 26 says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And there really is a ministry of the family of God that we know how to, when someone is going through a tough time, to suffer with them and be next to them. And even after you say the powerful prayer and things don't change instantly, you still sit with them. You still walk with them. There's a ministry that rejoices with them when something is happening that's good and God's blessing that you join in and rejoicing with them. Even though your prayer wasn't answered yet, you're still waiting for that blessing. You, this is part of the ministry of caring for one another and bringing unity in the family of God. So back to that question, what part are you and are you connected? Because even a bionic arm, no matter how strong and powerful it is, if it's not connected, it can't work. The body of Christ, if you think, oh, I don't need the family of God, I don't need a local church family, I don't be, listen, you will die alone. The connectedness and unity of this image is Paul's emphasis. You cannot be connected, folks, with a TV preacher. YouTube is awesome. I use it every week to listen to preaching and teaching. I love it, but I'm not connected. I'm sorry to the best, my favorite teachers that doesn't connect, and they're not connected to me. Maybe in my heart, I'm receiving wisdom. Uh, I'm being discipled in a sense uh, in, in, in that distance kind of way, but yet it's good knowledge, etc. But there's no mutual connection. We're not connected. So you can't experience 1 Corinthians 12 by jumping around from church to church or being one, one of those well-meaning, often on fire believers that it says, You know, I don't believe in the local church. I'm part of the universal church with a big smile on their face. And they just feel this freedom just to go anywhere and come anywhere. And and there's there's fun in that. There's variety in that. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's not fun, but you're not connected like first Corinthians 12. Paul is is describing here. And so your gifts and that placement that God has placed your gifts your abilities, your background to be used is not happening. You're, you're falling short of that experience. Some people say, well, I'm not a part of a local church. I just fellowship with the body of Christ, this big family. I just fellowship with them, and I do Bible study over here, and I do a fellowship over here. 
And those are good fellowships. They're good. They're, God uses those to produce fruit in our life. But a New Testament church is different than that. It's beyond that. The Apostle Paul, his practice was all through the New Testament, he starts a church and then he sets up elders to oversee that local church in that city. And, and so that it's just a fellowship without the leadership of the spiritual authority and the spiritual covering. But once there's elders, then that's a local church. And the elders then have deacons who are underneath their authority, delegated to serve and minister. And so, for example, I think it's like this, that the elders and deacons and those servant leaders form the head of a local body. And then all the everybody's connected. And you have this unity when there's a recognition of the spiritual covering of that local body. That's the picture of the New Testament church. That's why you have qualifications for an elder, qualifications for servant leaders called deacons who minister in in different areas of the church. There's qualifications because they need to be people who are dedicated to the Lord. So I say thank you, Jesus, for setting us in places of families, spiritual families, and you're pleased with that. Now, I want to do a twist here in my message and jump into signs of revival. I started this last Sunday, and I want to show you that actually Signs of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit apply to what we're talking about today. It, it's not only vertical like last week where we're, we're seeking the holiness of God being purified, but it's also very relational. And I'm going to give you some examples. But to review uh, signs of revival uh, last week, that worship and hunger for more is a sign of revival. Recognize that. Be, be aware of that invitation of the Holy Spirit to say, right, stay longer, uh, sing some more, you know, uh, seek me some more. Second, the humble confession of sin and repentance, where there's a, a, a conviction and following up with that conviction is an honest confession and said, I'm turning away from that. Well, that doesn't sound like that big of a sin. No, the Holy Spirit has convicted me. I'm turning away and I'm turning toward God. Number three, seek continual consecration and sanctification, where we set ourselves apart. So I want to direct, some of you know this already, because you've been following the Asbury outpouring or revival, whatever you call it. Um, I believe it is a revival, because I'm still seeing and hearing about signs of it, of revival spreading in other states and countries. And, uh, you know, it's, it's beyond Asbury, for sure. But on February 8th, this normal Asbury Chapel service on a Wednesday was taught by one of the professors there, Zach Mirkrebs, hard last name, and it's a love and action series. And he started uh, that day in Romans chapter 12 and went through verses 9 through 21. We're not going to do that. I'm just kind of telling you about it. And it's he said it's 13 verses but 30 commands. And pretty much all those commands were very practical and relate back to love. And so his whole message is about loving one another. 
He uses phrases like we need to be baptized in God's love before we can give it away. And he just invited people who wanted to stay for more worship to do that. I listened to the message a couple times. It's not a dynamic message. It's not uh, full of really cool illustrations that blow your mind. He's, he's, he's just kind of a down-to-earth kind of a guy. But what we found is that this was part of what God did with the student body at Asbury. And you can imagine it was 19 students at that time, and then more students came in during the day, and then the worship went through the night, and and they're confessing their sins, and they're humbling themselves. That right there is a vulnerable place that they're doing in front of one another. And they said the divisions and schisms and backbiting and bitterness and grudges and things that were happening all around or actually getting just plowed over by this receiving the love of God, and then they would go and ask forgiveness of a friend here and ask forgiveness. They were texting each other, make things right, and say, I'm sorry, and they were hugging each other. And for a couple of days there, that was one of the key things that was just so exciting for this, this spiritual family on that Christian college campus was this newfound unity with one another and new love for one another. And, and they're like, this is like the best retreat ever. A sovereign move of God gave us this retreat. And they're just having, then the third day, the fourth day, now there's hundreds and thousands of people on their campus. And that kind of, kind of got washed over because now they're serving and opening the door to thousands of other, other people. I heard, uh, a student, I talked to a student on the phone, and that's what he talked, how, how wow, we were just having these intimate moments with God and one another, and we we're so re- re- rejoicing, and then it switched to, you know, an impact nationally and globally, and now this, wow, okay, I, I thought this was me and my old buddy getting back together to be friends. No, this is impacting the world, and they were carrying this, and then, of course, the university had to sometime go, we've got to We've got to graduate our seniors. We've got to give them credit with their course. Somehow we've got to finish this semester. And they made these shifts and changes. And they were right. If it's from God, it's not dictated by location anyway. So I want to bring up some more signs of revival. That there's mutual humility that restores relationships. And I'm going to call that the invest in our all-in process for this Sunday. That when we invest in being humble and honest, then God brings together people from, uh, from who are divided and he, brings them, he turns them both toward each other and that humility and then there's restoration. There's that, that healing of the body of Christ. Now it's back unity, unified again and working healthily like in a human body. I'm just going to give you a quick little school on this in Matthew uh, 5 and Matthew 18, about how Jesus' teaching says, I want my people to, to, to have this turn toward each other. Matthew 5, what we get is this, verse 23. He says, therefore, if you bring uh, your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gifts. So he's saying, listen, even 
uh, worship is so good and a sign of revival. But no. Stop worshiping. If I'm convicting you and showing you that there's someone who has ought against you and, and, and you know that, put your gift down at that worship and go make that right. That's convicting, folks. I don't know how human it is for me. That's, this is a principle that I try to live by, that God doesn't just let me be vertical. Oh, I'm just praising God and praying. Listen, if there's something not right horizontally, God is going to remind me this is important to me as well. The next uh, passage is Matthew 18. So this is the person that's aware that someone has ought against them. It's been offended, and it's something. there's a broken uh, fellowship there. The next uh, passage here in Matthew 18 is coming from the opposite direction. Verse 15 of verse 18, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. There's a couple more verses here, and I just want to warn you, oh, this is, oh, this is great. God wants me to go confront that person and tell them they're wrong and just let them have it because they hurt me so bad. Man, this is great. Thank you, Jesus, for Matthew 18, 15. Let me tell you, when you go to a person to be honest with them that this was either sinned against you, there's a misunderstanding, there's a... There's a break in fellowship. There's a distance that's happening. And you know God is saying, listen, there, this, is, this is getting, if this is division or getting into division, you sense that pull to go there and, and you're gaining the courage. The Holy Spirit will purify you, brother, sister, let me tell you. He's going to say, the, the Holy Spirit, as he's preparing you, will go, okay, now, now remember, this was your attitude this is what you did. This, and so you're going to start off the conversation by asking for forgiveness. You go, what? But you know what they did. They, this was terrible what they did. Yeah, it was terrible. It was much worse than you did. But God is purifying you. As you this, is, this is not to get vengeance. This is not to prove your point and show them finally you're right. The next verse, let me show you verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. See, oh, that's good. We'll gang up on them. Well, I'll have all my buddies, gossiping buddies with me. We're going to just just mm, rub it in good. No, God has designed those couple of people to help you realize, um, actually, you're in the wrong here. And maybe stop you from being totally out of line and blinded about your own participation in this division that's happening. Or God has designed them to be honest with you and say, listen, this is your part. You need to ask for This is a purification process here, folks. God is turning people toward each other to bring unity in his family, in his body of Christ, and he wants to do it through humility, honesty, and pure hearts. And if he refuses, verse 17, uh, to hear them, tell it to the church, but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like a heathen and a tax collector. And so then if there's more people involved and confirmed the truth by two or three witnesses that this is a division that is not being healed because this person is turning away, then even there. How do you treat a heathen and a tax collector? 
You treat him with the unconditional love of the father to say, my brother, my sister, my heart is broken. I am reaching out to you with the love of God. It's not punishing them and trying to kick them out of the church. It is in order to put them in a place where now they can see the compassion of Jesus for where they are at that time. So there is a mutual humility. This is what God is doing in revival. Signs of revival, mutual humility, restores relationships, invests. The next one is abundance of forgiveness. Realize that there is an invitation from the Holy Spirit when when you forgive, excuse me, receive forgiveness from Jesus. He paid the price. He purchased you with his blood. You're cleansed now. You are washed clean. You're, You're free from guilt. You're free from shame. He's conquered it. And now you've turned to him and there's all this, this, uh, you know, blessing from his forgiveness. It's an abundance that overflows to others. He actually gives you grace. Now you can forgive that, that one that really did wound you, that really did. You were a victim. You're a child. Listen, you've received forgiveness. He wants you to extend this abundant forgiveness and pour it out to that other one that, yes, did hurt you deeply. I'm not going to say it was a small thing. It was a big thing. But you've received forgiveness. There's an abundance. Hear the invitation of the Holy Spirit to say release that forgiveness to others. Signs of revival number three, the outpouring of his love flows through others. To, through, to others, through others, to others. And this where you are actually involved in the unification of the body of Christ. That because you've received his love and got a baptism of love, you've been, it's been poured out on you, then that love is, you're going to be praying and encouraging and loving and forgiving, and that flows out of you. And then you, that starts healing them and restoring them, and you become this, this great work of the Spirit to bring unity to the body of Christ, and not schism, but unity. And you're a part of it. First John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. I want to tell you, I, I try to make it quick. It's a long story, but I'm going to try to tell you a little bit of a story here from 1992. I was the youth pastor here. I'm going to say there was around you know, 40, 50 students in the youth group. Uh, you know, maybe impacting more than that, maybe 50 to 60. But uh, we were had the Christian school here at the time, and I had uh, this trip planned in Asheville at a large church there for the first year that Teen Mania did the Acquire the Fire Youth Conventions that went on for over a decade, maybe 15 years or so, and got really big in their their arenas and so forth. And... The, the school students were so what we call church-wise, where they were here in body, but their heart and mind was somewhere else. They didn't care about spiritual things, and they could just hide it. We had some public school students, and they, you know, just came for, you know, the fellowship to hang out. The girls or mom and dad made them come. I had one student that had a sincere relation with God at the time, and that was Brandon Ross, Carol's oldest son. And we went to 
this is Choir of the Fire. I thought it was going to be great. You know, out of, it was just half of the students signed up, 20. And they were just wanting to get out of town. The other 20, 30 were like, I'm not going to any stupid conference. Are you kidding me? We went down there, and the first Friday night service, a young man who was the senior cool basketball player of the school went down to the altar call and dedicated his life. I have that memory in my mind. I can remember on his knees going, what is he doing down there? This is crazy. And waited for him to come back. I could see it on his face. He was changed. The Lord touched him. This is real. Next morning, a handful of more went down to the altar at lunch at the uh, you know, afternoon session. Another group went down, and then Saturday night, all of them went down to altar to rededicate their lives, except one girl, and that was happened on Sunday morning. Instead of leaving the, ho- the, uh, the hotel, I said, excuse me, can I use your, your, uh, uh, your, your meeting room for about 30 minutes? I just need to kind of have a circle up and hear some things that are going on among the youth before we leave. Two and a half hours later, just letting each one share what God had done in their heart over the last 24, 48 hours. And then the last girl said, I want this too. I came back to Shelbyville. I was at Joel and Carol's house, our founding pastors. I said, Joel, I guess we'll just wait and see if this thing was just a good weekend, an emotional high, or if this is going to stick. Ken Sullivan, the pastor, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the principal of the Christian school, I was t- telling him what's happened. He said, well, Wednesday morning in chapel, why don't we let Jim Erickson start off and share his testimony, and some of the other students can share their testimony like they did at Sunday morning at that hotel and just see what God does. Let's just, let's just do chapel like that and see what happens. Folks. Students came down to this altar listening to their buddies who they knew they weren't faking it. Because students know what, where they're at, if they're faking and if they're being church wilds and being slick or not. And they came to the altar, and when they would kneel at the altar, God would touch them powerfully. There was this baptism of love. There was this presence of the Holy Spirit. They'd have this cleansing of hurt and pain, and, and, and they would... Be asking forgiveness from God and from one another, and sure enough, this unity happened among uh, among those students like I hadn't seen before. They were full of cliques. They were full of just who's cool, and and that's why God chose probably Jim Erickson to start because he was the coolest of them all. Now he's a pastor today up north and has family, and of course was a missionary a number of years with YWAM. So Wednesday night, Joel said, well, what do we do? Let's just do what you did this morning at the chapel. So we had worship, and then Jim Erickson started off with the first testimony, and then the other students started sharing testimony. There was a group over here, a big square of of chairs, and, and the students were just sitting over there. And I believe, if I have it right, in the Wednesday morning chapel is when Justin Ross came down and dedicated his life, and then David Sullivan as well. Wednesday nights when Greg Jacobs came down and was seeing those testimonies saying, I'm not going to fake it anymore. I'm going to come real, come in real here. And it just swept through a whole youth group, both Christian school students and public school students. 
these basketball players were changed so quickly that they, it was noticeable at the basketball games. They had been known already as the most uh, nastiest, bad attitude, ungodly basketball team in the Christian school uh, uh, association. And the coaches and the players saw a difference. They're smiling. They're helping players off the, off the court. They're, you know, reaching out to them and had, and with the cheerleaders who they snubbed and would tease and make fun of. Now they're going over and giving thanks and cheers to the cheerleaders. And these other coaches are seeing and say, what has happened to your students? And they only had a few more games left. And they were like, we heard that they would have been voted as the most sportsmanlike team, but they were so awful for over half the season that they didn't feel comfortable giving them the award since it was only a few games at the end. But conversations started happening among coaches and principals, and we were invited to go to several other Christian schools and hold chapel services. It spread, folks. Same thing. Jim Erickson start with the opening testimony, hand the mic to other students. They would share their testimony of what God has done. Say, come down and, and, and if you want this and get right with God, they would come down. As soon as their knees hit the altar, God would start just pouring out his manifest presence of God that there is hope, folks, for our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren. God does intervene, and he takes a hurting young person, and he heals them, and he delivers them. And he sets them free. So the unity is what the coaches, players, and principals noticed as a fruit that something real has happened. You hear that? So we can't divide this thing up. Oh, Revival, a pouring move of the Spirit is so so wonderful for me. No, listen, it goes into the horizontal every time. John 13, 34, a new commandment Jesus said, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. What a standard, as I have loved you. Holiness to the Lord, that sign in the Asbury Chapel, those students know that their unity and the forgiveness and restoration of relationships was part of that holiness that pleased God. So Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That is a part of His righteousness is healing of broken friendships, family relationships, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ that have misunderstanding, that have divisions and, and, uh, and bitterness toward each other. This is part of God's message. When, when John the Baptist was preaching to prepare for Jesus, the greatest re- revivalist that came through was Jesus Christ himself. And he said, repent, Verse uh, Matthew 3, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus gave the same message. So I'm saying to you, listen, folks, if you allow the Holy Spirit to say these broken relationship or this certain person, this certain one, I want you to go to them 
It is the righteousness of God. It is part of repenting and getting right with God. Next Sunday, I'm, and I'm going to go ahead and ask the uh, praise team to go ahead and come up. I've purposely asked them to let's, let's have some extra worship at the end. One thing is I'm hearing and talking to leaders about this outpouring is you just, you just make more room. You don't just, you know, end things and rush off. You just don't go click, click, and then you finish, you know, and you, you just make room. You just have more flexibility. And I'm going to ask you, uh, Dave, to, to bring the lights down on this uh, as, as we seek God and just have a time of worship, really. Where we allow the Holy Spirit to speak and direct to us. I want to say there's, there's many small groups that we have going right now, um, and we're, we're planning on honing those and, and starting some new ones. That's part of what... When we get these uh, vision home groups scheduled in the calendar, uh, and you'll hear more about because next Sunday as we continue to look at this horizontal piece and, and outreach, you're, you're going to ask me the question, well, how? Stephen, how? How do I connect to the body? How do I connect to someone who's a seeker, who's new? How? And we're going to get closer to that uh, next Sunday and into these home groups. But I want to make room for the Holy Spirit for each one of us to say you need to text that person before you leave this building and set up a phone call or meeting with them this week and, and again I, I can't tell you what it is I don't know who it is I know for me recently I had said something uh, uh, negative about the a body of Christ and, and I was convicted and I apologized to the Lord, and I, and it, and then the next day I was convicting it. No, I did not take his conviction very seriously. It was like a half-hearted apology. And so the next day I was convicted against. Yes, Lord, please forgive me. And and I, I, I you know, you just go through the whole forgiveness process. And if it involves a person, you got to go to that person. Please forgive me. Forgiveness admits that you did something wrong. And you're saying, I'm, I'm open. I'm hoping you forgive me. It's your choice. And you say, please forgive me. You're saying, I've done something wrong. So many times situations are, are, are complicated. And they are full of, uh, of past and certain arguments and fights and and, and you, can't, you can't go back and fix every single one, but you can go and say, I, this is what I want. I want unity among us, and I know that I've been a part of this division. Please forgive me. And moving forward, I want to do better, and I don't want to do such and such. You take responsibility for your 3%, 6%, 20%, whatever it is, you, you confess that humbly, mutually before one another and that opens doors to them like, wow. They're humble. They're not pride. They're not coming at me. They're not trying to get vengeance. That's not trying to prove that I'm wrong. They're actually one. 
a new relationship, a new unity. In this uh, worship songs, just I encourage you to enter in and just be open to the Lord and whatever he's dealing with, you follow through.
something that isn't real, good or bad. Just pray that you would expose all those places in our hearts, God. So that we can see what's real and we know what to turn over to you. Give us hearts of worship, team to continue to, to just worship. You can stay here and, and let's keep the, it dark like this for privacy's sake. Of course, you can visit in the gathered place or if you need to go somewhere, uh, you need to feel free to go. And and it could even be where before you leave the building, you know, you need to talk to somebody. And it's just you obeying the Holy Spirit. That he's His Spirit is the refining fire because the Spirit of God is pointing us back to Jesus I want you to be more like Jesus. I want you to be more like Jesus. And glorify Him. Lord God, we want to be more like You. And I'm going to just go ahead and, and say, if you're, if you're not right with God today, either because you've fallen away and gone some other path, or it's been a hard season in your life and you kind of forgot about Him, or you want to come to him, I'm going to say a prayer right now. I'm going to ask everybody to join me in saying this prayer. And this can be your salvation prayer, getting right with God today. 
Everybody could say after me, Dear Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. Heal my hurt and pain. I want to experience your love. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the grave. So I turn from my old ways. And I turn to you. And start a new relationship with you, Jesus. For now and forever. If you said that prayer and you're online, tell somebody, tell us, we want to support you if you're here. Tell somebody, we want to actually pray more for you. I'll be around here. We have altar ministry people here to pray for you, whether you're dealing with a physical issue, financial issue, family issue, maybe something out of the message. You need some extra prayer support. But we want you blessed before you leave. We are praying people, so please don't leave. If you still have something bothering you or something that you're weighted down, then please come and receive prayer. Online, we have a phone number for the next 30 minutes on Sunday morning for you to uh, call that number and receive prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that we want your Holy Spirit to have way, that we would either fall in love with you again or just grow in our love for you like never before. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Have a blessed week. Let's keep worshiping those who can't draw cannons.